Radio Drome. It's another episode of Radio Drome. With me is not Brad Jones. He is sick at the moment. But I do have the Marquis de Suede himself, Alex Jowski. Hello. And we have a special guest. We have Miss Diamanda Hagen. All the way from the UK, but technically she's in America, so you're not that far. Hello, everyone. Again, I turn up when Brad's not here. This is not planned. Yeah, we had a topic planned for tonight. Brad was on board till about an hour before we recorded, and then he got sick. So it was just another dope. One of these days, we will get Diamanda and Brad on the same show just to prove that they're not the same person. (laughs) That's a horrifying thought, although if I had his fan base, numbers-wise, I'd be very happy. You got a pretty decent fan base yourself, so don't don't go kicking kicking yourself. If you do want to pay someone to kick yourself or have videos of people kicking yourself, you can always go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item. Not one, not two, not four, but three free DVDs, a free mystery gift, and free United States shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. See, Diamanda, while you're in the America, you could get free shipping. That was very smooth, Josh. I, I try. I'm really trying here. <laughs> I'm so glad my podcast doesn't have a sponsor. Tell people about your podcast before we actually get into this show. Pimp yourself in a totally non-sexual manner. Basically, it, well, it's called Lesbian Talk. You can hear it on projectamillionentertainment.com, and it's basically me and my wife talking about whatever we feel like talking we've got some recurring things where we you know talk about trivia she tells stories from her 10 years working for a large chain bookstore and currently we're uh recapping and talking about new episodes of doctor who when it comes out generally we just talk about random subjects and then talk about something with media geek media entertainment it's it's very free form but we've got some interesting seems a little light on the lesbian though it's true. It's it's less of a show about lesbians and more of a two lesbians are talking are, are doing the show. But we've we've got some interesting interviews lined up. Actually, um, Sunday we're interviewing Stuart Urban, director of Preaching to the Perverted. Um, and then Wednesday we're going to be doing an episode with uh, YouTube uh, a, a secular LGBT uh, vlogger uh, Zinnia Jones. So that's cool. And uh, we're supposed to be doing an episode at some point with Kevin Strange. You mentioned preaching to the perverted. There's a Kickstarter about that. You're the one that sent it to me. So I liked the movie. And what is the Kickstarter all about? Is it to get it remastered or or what was it again? Yeah, the Kickstarter right now is to is to take the original, you know, 16 or 32 which millimeter. I'm not entirely sure which. I think it was 16 millimeter film and then fix up the film because, you know, it's generating. It's been about probably about 20 years. And uh, so it's degenerating. They want to get it as pristine and as crisp as possible in order to put it onto a Blu-ray so you can get the full, you know, high-definition thing for it. Then they want to release the Blu-ray with a bunch of extra features and stuff, you know, give the film the treatment it deserves. Alex is willing to do that for Manos, so you guys should be willing to do that for preaching. It is the world's only BDSM rom-com. And, you know, it's (laughs) not just, like... Like Secretary is a is a film with romance and comedy and BDSM, but this one is a full on traditional romantic comedy food film, just with a very traditional setup. But it's just set around with dominatrixes and BDSM. It's great. Yeah, it, and it's interesting. And I'm gonna probably butcher her name. Who is the main actress? Guinevere Guinevere uh, Gwen- Turner. Guinevere Turner. She wrote. Uh, what was it? She wrote. She wrote Blood Rain. She was not happy about that. Yes, but but yeah. she wrote, and she's also hot as hell. 
and she uh, she co- she uh, wrote American Psycho the movie. She was in that and got killed. I I remember her. Yeah, her Blood Rain story was kind of funny. She wrote the first draft, and then no one ever called her to do to do updates or to do revisions. So she just assumed they didn't like her style, and they hired somebody else. Then when she attended the contractually obligated premiere, she found they shot her first draft with no revisions whatsoever. And she yeah. was she was mortified that her name is on that. <laughs> uh, she is apparently really, really nice. She um she started off with I think it was uh, the movie Go Fish in the early nineties. She was one of the she was one of the earliest out and proud sort of, you know, lesbians in Hollywood. And uh, she hasn't really done much acting since, you know, American Psycho, but she turns up quite a lot in writing. She's a very, very good script writer. I've seen her in quite a few documentaries. Did, did you ever watch that one I sent you that, uh, like, sex on film or something like that? Oh, yeah, I, I was watching all them. That was fascinating. It was, a, it was a little bit like a heterosexual version of the celluloid closet. Kind of, but for like five hours. Yeah. I sent you those too, Alex. Did you watch those? No, I don't think I have yet. You see why? Look what I have to deal with, Diamanda. What? Look at this slacker here. Oh, come on. Come on, Alex. It's just five <laughs> hours of porn. Yeah. <laughs> it's not porn. It's a it's a legitimate documentary on the history of sex on film. It, it's not porn, though. No. Oh, oh, sorry. Porn what? is everything else you've sent me. Hey, you, you asked me, for it. You sent <laughs> me part of that about the Emmanuel films. I watched that part. I just I cannot the title the exact title is escaping me at the moment. It was the one produced by IFC a few years ago. But that's not actually what we're talking about. I just wanted to talk about that. But I wanted to talk to you guys about something that's it's still there today in the modern DVD and it, it's it's really kicked up thanks to the internet, but back in the 80s and 90s we had this thing that I could only describe as video weirdness. That you you had stuff released on video that would have never seen the light of day prior to the video boom. And I'm not referring to movies. I'm referring to, like, I have a VHS tape called Action Police Monthly. It was a once-a-month video magazine for police officers that showed takedowns and new techniques and new technologies in restraining suspects and had cops telling some of their harrowing stories with America's Most Wanted-style reenactments. That's just, it's a time capsule of, like, 1990. Have you guys ever seen anything like that? Well, YouTube nowadays. YouTube has kind of replaced that. Now, when you say YouTube, do you mean them putting those old videos on YouTube, or the modern stuff that is now being made for YouTube? The modern stuff that is now being made for YouTube. Um, nothing quite like that. But I ha- I, I'm just remembering this half hour, it was play. it was... I bought a picture of a second-hand VHS store, and it was so her name's been like out of my head, and it was starring Rick Mail, who uh, was most famous in America for um, play for starring in Drop Dead Fred, and he played uh, he was cut out of the first two Harry Potter films for playing Peeves the Poltergeist. But oh, uh, w- wasn't he Rick on the Young Ones? Yes, but this is this thing was packaged as a comedy show with him, and it was actually a thing designed for kids about not doing drugs. It was a weird mixture of don't do drugs, kids, and stand-up comedy with Rick from The Young Ones. It was bizarre. Yeah, I mean, the kind of stuff we're talking about is the kind of things that Brad would do on DVD-R Hell, really. Yeah. Except these things were commercially released and expensive, 
These things usually average, you got to remember, put this in like 1989, 1990, 1991 dollars. These things were $29.95 on clearance. So these things were not cheap. There was a huge boom around, right around 90 and 91 of all these video magazines. And they even released them as issues, even though they were videotapes. They called them issue number one, issue number two, etc. Most of them did not get past issue four, tape four, however you want to put it. Okay, Alex, I know you're kind of an 80s music guy. Are you a metalhead, too? I mean, a hardcore metalhead? No. I am a rather large heavy metal fan. Do you guys remember Metalhead Video Magazine, either of you? I've never come across Metalhead, but, you know, me being UK-based, uh, maybe we had slightly different things. There, there was also one called, I think, Metal Mania, something like I, that. I've got, I've got a bunch of these random ones where it would have uncut music videos, interviews, weird cartoons. These things were like $30, $40 a piece, and they would come out once a month. The biggest guy that did these... Now, Alex, you might be a little too young because you're slightly younger than me and Diamanda. I don't know if they had this over by you. Do any of you guys remember Night Flight? Uh, no, I don't recall Night Flight. No. It sounds familiar, though. Night Flight was basically a TV version of what I just talked about. The alternative to MTV. Because MTV at this point, when they started Night Flight in 1982, was only in about 30% of the country and was still a pay channel in America. But MTV was obviously blowing up really huge. So Stephen Shapiro invented something called Night Flight that was on the USA Network from midnight till 6 a.m. every Friday and Saturday, where they would show a movie, cartoons, music videos, interviews, behind the scenes, movie reviews, trailers. If you can't get MTV because it's pay, this is the free version of it. He's the guy that put out so many of those video magazines in 9091. They were the brainchild of Steven Shapiro. And you can definitely see the style if you go to old Night Flights. It's kind of a shame that you didn't get them over there, Diamanda, because Night Flight is fun as hell. Well, we might have got them over, um, but 1982, 1981, I, I wasn't born then, so... It lasted until 1996, so you oh, still had plenty 96. of time. In America, it didn't go off the air until 96. It's, uh... Maybe it did exist and I missed it. The, um... One thing that the UK had until 1998, I'm going to say, there was only four terrestrial t you know, channels in the UK unless you paid a lot of money to get Sky TV or something, you know, you know satellite television. And my family uh, didn't get that until about 10 years later. So it might have been on that and I missed it. Well, and you also had, and this is, Alex is going to know this, even though this never had a VHS release, a lot of these are equivalent to the kind of early infomercials. Santo Gold, Alex? Can you tell Santo us about Gold. Santo Gold? Santo Gold was, well, his business was a pyramid scheme that he, you would pay Santo Gold to be able to sell Santo Gold and hopefully get rich selling Santo Gold, but that's not what happened. Santo Gold, which was the guy's name, is the only one that made money. He used that money to make a movie called Blood Circus that's just apparently the craziest terrible movie ever and it's impossible to find because i don't think it ever got isn't any it kind like of a release. wrestling movie that deal it's also a musical and it deals with aliens that get caught in in like the wwf or something yeah it's wrestling and aliens and musical but the musical part of it is it's just songs about santo gold and how it's 24 carats and has a money back guarantee in the middle of this like gruesome wrestling stuff 
that oh, yeah, it's a horror amazing. movie too. I don't know why you can't find a copy. He's he's only offering the original 35 millimeter print for ten million dollars on eBay. I'm not joking. Or you could pay forty and be an investor. That's the other offers. Like you can own it for ten, but you can be an investor for thirty or forty. It was like um on Amazon there was a copy of uh, Kevin Strange's movie Cockhammer for sale for about a thousand dollars. I was talking to Kevin Strange at one point and he commented about how he he'd seen that and he was like, "Damn it." They could ask me, you know, I, I could give them two copies for at least, you know, for, for that. Todd Sheets, who owns Jackalope, some of the movies he made in the early 90s, late 80s, you know, like Bimbo's in Time and stuff, original VHSs of that go for 900 bucks on Amazon. And every now and then you'll see somebody pay for one. And Todd's like, you guys realize I got a basement full of these, right? Yeah. Just gathering mold? It's crazy. Although I feel slightly less stupid for um, holding on to some VHSs that I have. Like, um, one of my uh, proudest possessions when it comes to media is a copy of, it's an original VHS release, British VHS release of Reanimator, which has, um, if I remember correctly, it has a coming soon to, to cinemas trailer for Day of the Dead. Mine actually might, I've got the original Vestron release of Reanimator. Can't remember what trailers are on that, though. But but you guys also all had the video nasties. I would think some VHSs are really hard to get over there at That's this point. True. I mean, vintage ones. That's true. I'm not sure if Reanimator was considered a video nasty. It wouldn't surprise me if it was, but the version but I that had... That was maybe a, a, a like third class or whatever it was. Section 3. A Section 3, yeah, that's it. I, that yeah. might have been a Section 3, but I, that wasn't one of the official nasties. So I think it, that came it, out right after the, the scare was over, I think, or dying down it, at least. Well, it would have. I think it would have been higher up the list if it had been released uncut, because the VHS I have, they cut out uh, some of the more extreme stuff. Like I, I was really excited 10, 15 years ago when I was able to get a hold of the uncut Region One DVD release of Reanimator, so I could see it uncut. And then I, you know, picked up the uncut from Beyond. And all, a lot of these films, if they got released in the UK, were completely butchered to shit. Guess the scene where the severed head goes down on the woman strapped to a table. Probably yes. missing from your version, huh? Yes, it was, and alas, I don't understand the high art in that scene. That is one of the world's first film-related visual puns, giving head. It's like, that, you could, that, is, that is art. Technically, there's one that's before that. Do you ever see the really, really bad movie that we did on Live Nude Geeks called Trick or Treat, or Tricks or Treats? Is that the one with uh, Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne? No, 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 no. That's from 86. This is a really bad one that Orson Welles was sort of a pseudo-producer on, and it's boring as hell. There's one point, there's a movie within a movie. One of the characters in the movie is an actress in a bad movie. She actually cuts a guy's head off, and he goes, please give me head nurse, and she hands it to him. So, th- so that <laughs> pun was done all the way back in 82. When did Reanimator come out? Wasn't it like... 86 in America? Maybe really? 85? Maybe 85. Really? Because yeah. I thought Reanimator it came out right after the Terminator. I thought it was filmed right after the Terminator. It was, and Terminator was 84, so it, it would have been either late 84, early 85, maybe. Because mm-hmm. I, I know the VHS has a copyright date of 86, but that might just be the VHS release. Yeah, the well, VHS would come out about 18 months later. There's also that Monkeys movie of Head, which is probably titled so, so if they made another movie, they could say, from the same people who gave you Head. Written by Jack Nicholson, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Nicholson wrote The Monkey's Head. If you can call that movie having written, I don't think there was an actual script. I think it was them just getting baked and making stuff up. I mean, 
there, there's one sketch where they are pieces of dandruff in a giant wig. So I don't know if you can actually write that kind of thing down or not. Uh, I can try. Going back to the VHS weirdness, and I mean this as a 100% compliment, Diamanda, I consider what people like you do as sort of the modern version of that. You guys encapsulate all the weirdness that would have been on a VHS tape or, God forbid, a comp tape. You do it on the internet. Do you see yourself as sort of exposing people to the weirdness or just you show them what you wanted to see and if they don't like it, screw them? Um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't a de- deliberate decision to do that, but yeah, I can definitely see the similarity. One of the big reasons I do the show is because I love to find weird films, interesting films, and show other people it. But even before I did the show, I would force uh, groups of my friends, you know, to watch films of my choice, be all like, one of my, I probably mentioned this in the previous one, but I managed to get two of my, four of my friends who were two heterosexual couples to watch some hardcore communist gay porn over a meal. It was great. I don't think the internet age can understand as well if you're not as old as myself or Alex, you probably in, were part of this era. And Diamanda, you're, you're a little younger than us, not by a whole lot, but so you, and I don't know if this was such a incident in the UK or not, but with VCRs being so expensive and a lot of movies not being released on video for years and years after they came out, comp tapes that oh, were, yeah. where you would basically just get like like band Zombiethon, which all it is, it's got a framing story of a woman going into a movie theater, and it's just an hour to an hour and fifteen minutes of all the best scenes of like Fulci's Zombie and Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, and it's just all zombie scenes or like there was the famous. Donald Pleasant's one, Terror in the Isles, with him and Nancy Allen. That was all these clips of movies that didn't have video releases. I don't think the modern audience can understand kind of getting something like that today. No, not really. They haven't seen something like that in years. Because everything everything gets put out in DVD these days. Even even someone from our generation, like, you know, we get surprised when we find out that something doesn't have a, v- a DVD release. Because DVD is so cheap to put out. One of the things that I I love from over by you is there are movies that never even got a VHS release over here, and I'm able to find bootlegs online from PAL VHS tapes. Mm. Yeah, there's some really weird choices of films that only got released in the U.S. or only got released in the U.K. There was a Northern Irish film that, for the longest time, never got a release in the U.K., but it got an American release. Of course, now, uh, I was supposed to write my review of it, you know, while I'm over in America, and I forgot to bring my digital copy, because I, I own a copy on DVD. For me to discover, the American release, I can't find it anywhere. I got a, I looked for the British release, and it cost about $150, you know, but it cost about £10 over in the UK, so it completely shifted, which meant I had to review other stuff, which is a completely different story. But, yeah, it's insane, the prices of some stuff, com- you know, comparatively. The Japanese, there are bootlegs that are online of movies that only you can you can only find on Japanese heart with hard coded subtitles from Japanese VHS tapes such as the Red Brown Bruno Matai movie Robo War there are no known copies out there officially of that movie that do not have hard coded Japanese subtitles on them either from the Japanese VHS or the Japanese only laserdisc given how low the price on DVDs are that's just insane yeah, because they're all just sourced like that. And it's just, it is distracting after a while to have to watch the Japanese subs. It really is. 
But if that's the only way you're going to see Reb Brown fighting a robot predator, I'm willing to do it. And like, there's there's some films which, for whatever reason, like they don't you can't get them with English subtitles. I've like, seen um, I've seen a lot of the like uh, the Turkish Turkish Star Trek we did on Live Nude Geeks. There's no way the version we watched that was the official subtitles that we were watching, was it, Alex? No, but they were clearly done by somebody who, for whom English was not a first language. I have a copy of uh, Turkish Wizard of Oz. I talked to uh, Ed Glazer. According to him, there are no known English language uh, subs, even even you know fake ones or whatever. Wasn't Three Dev Adam like that? For the longest time, I remember all the bootlegs going around were fan subbed and by different fans, so you got slightly different dialogue in each one. And now isn't the, and I'm using this word in quotes, official DVD release an officially subtitled version? I think so, yeah. What's even better than fan subs, though, is fan dubs. I've never actually heard one of the fan dubs. I've heard of them. Oh, some of them can be just atrocious. To where I'll, you know, you don't even want to listen to it. Like the voice work, or just the actual translations themselves. Is it Both. as bad as bad as Japanese the dubbing on the Japanese um, Transformers Scramble City that sort of thing? That was really bad. Yeah, I, I saw those. Those were pretty awful. You know, one of the things about the comp tapes that is really special is that there are clips of movies in some of these old comp tapes that still to this day do not have DVD releases, and I find that to be really unique. That you find some old comp tape, especially if, if it was made for TV, so you're watching an edited version of the gore from a movie that never even got a VHS release, let alone a DVD release, so that's the only way you're going to see it. That It really does kind of make you feel like you're watching something almost forbidden, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It's... Like- you know that that's one of the the good things about it, but it doesn't quite overpower the annoyingness of not being able to get a full complete copy of something. I'm one of those ones who, you know, 99% of the time, regardless of whether it's a better cut or not, I'd rather have the full complete version of something. Yeah, I am the same way. Is that I'd rather have completeness than quality. But there's there's a couple like going back to the Charles Band stuff back in Empire. He released a movie called Film Gore. That was all, it was supposed to encapsulate some of the goriest movies ever made. You gotta remember this is done in like 83, so there's not a, a whole lot of recognizable titles in it. But it was hosted by Elvira and written by Forrest J. Ackerman. Right there, you've got kind of a unique setup. Wasn't, isn't that a, an extra feature on his, uh, he, he released a bunch of DVDs like Seed People and Cannibal Woman in the Avocado, Jungle of Death and Spate and, uh, when it got Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity as this set. And I've noticed, and I have several of these DVDs, and I've noticed that some of them have extra features that are like that, maybe not the exact one, but they have they have some of these sort of pieced together films as extra features. Yeah, he did do that a couple of times. This specific one, Film Gore, did get its own DVD release, clearly sourced off a VHS tape with hits and a minor tracking line problem at the bottom every now and then. So he clearly just took a VHS copy, put it on DVD, and sold it. But it's part of that full moon grindhouse thing. Beautiful thing about film gore that that, that really was unique is it, it took four movies. I know two of them were Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Driller Killer. I can't remember what the other ones were. You had Elvira introducing and coming out of these, and they basically boiled the entire movies down into 15 minutes apiece. So you got a digest-sized version 
of a movie like Driller Killer, which is frankly boring as hell, it's pretty palatable in 15, and this Digest version really does work, and it shouldn't. Why am I thinking that Last House on Dead End Street's in there? Very well might be. I can't, like I said, I haven't watched it in a long time. And you also had kind of other weird, no, Band was a big one that, on this, not so much a comp tape. Have you ever seen Savage Island with Linda Blair? I've never seen Savage Island, no. That one, he, he bought some Filipino escape movie, you know, it's a woman is being captured and escaping from the jungle, and he's like, this is terrible, this is just awful, but I can work with this. So as he cut half the movie out, hired Linda Blair for two days to shoot a bunch of scenes in New York, and then rewrote the script and overdubbed all the Filipino stuff to make it that the woman escaping was Linda Blair's sister, and she was in New York trying to track her down, people that captured her, and he got a brand new movie with two with two parallel running subplots, and he only had to shoot for two days, and he got a full release movie out of it. He, he Godfrey Ho'd it. Yeah, he Godfrey Ho'd it, absolutely. And this might even be pre-Godfrey Ho, because this was 80, maybe? I don't think Godfrey Ho really started to do that hardcore until the 80s, did he? I thought he did some in the late 70s. Maybe he did. I, I mean, Ed Glazer is the Godfrey Ho expert. No, I'm not. That's true. I've only seen a couple of his films. But and Joe D'Amato did the same stuff, too, with his own movies, where he took Black Cobra Woman and then filmed some hardcore sex scenes and put it back into the movie to make a completely different redubbed movie called Porno Erotic Love. Well, hell, look at Son of Sleepaway Camp that Brad did. It's Memorial Valley Massacre with a Sleepaway Camp title, some Sleepaway Camp music, and random hardcore porn scenes for no apparent reason. <laughs> there's Before that, there's Caligula. Well, Caligula was always, I think, supposed to be like that, but I know they did release a R-rated version, for lack of a better way to put it. I don't think even that version ever got an R, though. Well, with uh, Caligula, it was... They kept firing and hiring new directors and sort of people going behind each other's backs and inserting stuff in there that wasn't supposed to be there. So it's very similar, but it was done by one production company rather than two. Well, and then you also got these weird comp tapes that have... Now, this kind has really, really made a comeback in the last five years on DVD because of the availability of these things. But you had the trailer collections. You had these collections of all these trailers, like the 42nd Street Forevers, Trailer War. There's a new one called Color Correct My Cock out of Canada that's got some of the most insane trailers ever. And you also had ones like Terror on Tape, which was done by Continental Home Video. They had Cameron Mitchell clearly drunk, and he admitted this later in an interview. He was drunk off of his ass when he shot this, and you can tell. As like a vampire ghoul behind the counter at an old-school video store, and every time somebody would come in, and one of the customers was a then-almost-unknown Michelle Bauer as a dominatrix, and he would show them trailers for Continental movies, and then they would go and rent those movies, and the whole thing was was basically a showcase for this is all the cool stuff Continental has out on home video, you should go buy it today. That kind of thing has really been making a comeback, and I'm kind of proud of it. Yeah, I'm glad it has too, because I always like trailer compilations, and I will seek out a lot of those. Mostly because a compilation of trailers is like, ooh, what, what of these can I pull clips from for future videos? Also, like I said about digest-sized movies, in a lot of those can't deny the fact that the trailer is way better than the movie, so you're getting a four-minute version of the movie with all the best scenes. That's entirely true. The um, With those ones, like, I'm, I'm a sucker for an insane and striking trailer, you know, 
several of the films I've reviewed were a bit reviewed simply because of the trailer, and usually I regretted it. Looking at you, Gwendolyn, Perils of Gwendolyn in the Land of the Yik Yik Fucking Hell. <laughs> That is, that is a boring, that is way more boring than any movie which should have steel bikinied, uh, you know, pony girls should be. Well, have you seen the trailer yet for the Miami Connection from 1987? I have ordered a DVD copy of that. That'll, that's waiting for me when I get home. Oh, that, I just bought that. That movie actually is as insane as the trailer. Good. That one actually, I mean, it might not quite live up to the insanity of the trailer. I mean, you have... Drug dealing ninjas fighting a rock band that knows kung fu, all done in Miami Vice style. You almost can't screw that up, can you? This is true. Have you ever seen uh, Death Cheaters? Uh, I have not. Alex? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, for insane concepts, Death Cheaters is an Australian movie by Brian Trenchard Smith. Now, this is the second of two movies that he did basically to showcase his favorite stuntman. And uh, the previous one was called Stunt Rock. It was about a rock band that also did stunt that they had stunts involved. <laughs> but this one, you got this stunt guy who Vic Armstrong, I think his name is. I can't remember his name, but he is playing himself, and he gets hired by the Australia by the, sorry, well, the British government in order to attack a chemical facility, you know, but in the Philippines as a secret agent because being a stunt man, he knows all about killing people in international espionage. It's brilliant. Hey, you know what? I can follow that logic. Well, hey, I'd want to see it. Yeah, I, it, I got no problem with that. It, it's much better than Stunt Rock. Stunt Rock had magic stunt, you know, magic, sorry, rock band stunt show with, you know, mag, stage magic involved, but it's no Death Cheaters. Well, you've also got ones like Hard Rock Zombies. Rocktober Blood is a great one. That one's something up your alley, Diamanda. It's about a, a, a heavy metal band. is like 82, 83. It's like a you know one like a glam metal heavy metal band. The singer ends up killing a bunch of people in the studio when he gets frustrated. He ends up being executed, and then years later, the band without him has gotten really really popular, and the people start dying, and it's all by his resurrected corpse. So it's a trick or treat crossed with shocker. Kind of, but done in such a serious way that there's no hint that the, of tongue in cheekness. So it makes it that much funnier. Oh, I picked up uh, two movies while I was... Bizarrely enough, I was inside a giant getting groceries with my wife. I'm going to bring them over because I had never heard of these two movies, but I bought them based on the names alone, and I want to know if either you can tell me anything about them, okay? Shadow Zone, starring uh, David Hong and Louise Fletcher. Full Moon. Uh, yep. And uh, the other one is Netherworld. Also, also Full Moon. Yep, you're right. Have you seen either of them? Are they as terrible as they seem according to these DVDs? Not really. I mean, I've seen them. They're not bad. Shadow Zone is actually quite decent. I haven't seen Netherworld since I was in high school, so like 89. So I don't remember that. You know, maybe that was a little later than that. But I don't remember Netherworld too much. But Shadow Zone's not that bad. I don't think if you're looking for it for your show... You're going to get as much material as you think you're going to. That Netherworld one, I haven't seen the movie, but I saw a trailer for it in one of the Full Moon Video Zone video magazines they'd have at the end of all their videos. With these ones, I don't know. I'll, I just have a massive collection of movies that I watch as potential reviews, not expecting to get reviews out of like you know, by the great vast majority of them. And honestly, I don't need to increase my list of reviews anymore. I've got about 80 films in it already. 
your queue is already big enough. Yeah. I, I'm always happy to add things to it, but, you know, I, I'm not expecting to. Well, and, and every now and then on your show, you tackle a movie that I really wouldn't have thought would have been up your alley, like The Island of Dr. Moreau. I actually would have thought that was too mainstream for you. Well, with that one, uh, okay, I do – every so often I do this thing where I possess another reviewer, and it's just an excuse partly for you know someone else give them the fun of playing such an over-the-top character, and and I write the episode and edit it. Now, I did one for Sci-Fi Guy where he did uh, The Island of Lost Souls. And while I was writing the script, I just kept thinking to myself, I really wish this was as over-the-top as the 90s version. And then I decided while editing it that, fuck it, I'm going to review that in, at MAGFest. I just thought about the 90s one so much while while writing the 30s version. Have you ever run across when you're doing these a movie that you really want to do and then you find out, God damn it, this is actually pretty decent? Uh, not really, because quality is no bar to being reviewed by me. So I... You know, several films I review, I absolutely adore. I've, uh, like, a turkey shoot, you know, known in America as Escape 2000. Love that film. Yeah, I've got uh, a, I got a VHS of that. For VHS, did you guys get all these weird comp tapes, or was that an American thing? That these weird video magazines and that? Cause I would think they would have gone over for you guys as well. But in a weird way, I'm thinking, eh, maybe they looked at that as, yeah, that's stupid American stuff. It's, um, it wasn't, a lot of those things probably didn't turn up because after the Video Nasties thing, basically our VHS was very, very, very restricted. So, um, probably they didn't turn up. That's too bad because you missed out on a lot of really off the wall stuff. Well, now I can get stuff on DVD and stuff. It's much easier now. Since you guys missed out on all those, when when you're looking for stuff, like when you're trolling the torrent sites and that, or, or sorry, I mean legally acquiring all the movies that you review, do you do you ever run across these and kind of go, man, the Americans were weird, or oh my god, this is awesome, I've got to do this. I mean, we had the weird stuff, not just like the workout videos. You had like the comps that I was talking about, or like the the direct to video, shot on video weirdness of like coming out of their shells from the turtles and you had these for kids videos or or like that one you talked about that was like a kids video stand up you had all this weird stuff is that something you now where you are would appreciate or do you think you would have actually appreciated when that stuff was new probably a bit of both like for um i'll watch you know if something's weird or it seems unusual i'll watch it pretty much just you know out of curiosity you know you got to wade through a lot of to come across the diamonds when it comes to this sort of stuff and uh if something seems weird or interesting then it's got to, i'm more likely to watch it than say if it's something that just seems generic and boring what, what would be like what you look for more than anything else do you look for something that's weird and doesn't realize it or something like funky forest that is just trying to be as weird as possible because to me funky forest lacks the authenticity of something that's so batshit insane that it doesn't realize how insane it is. Oh, Funky Forest is an amazing movie, though, Josh. I loved that movie. I have the soundtrack and still listen to it pretty frequently. I know you do. And that's that says a lot about you. Well, honestly, with me, uh, I don't really have a set system for working out what I'm going to review or why. It Generally, if I come across a film and, it's, and it just feels to me to be right for the show... I'll, I'll review it regardless of what it is. Like, 
I, I, I got a review of the North Korean Godzilla coming up. I'll review anything that I if I feel like it'll if I think it fits the show. Pulgasari? Yep. Oh, that movie's interesting. I like how it's you not... hesit- I like how you hesitated for a second before you said <laughs> interesting. It's it's not quite as interesting as you'd hope. When you hear North Korean Godzilla, you expect something truly demented. <laughs> but this one it's just like the it's it's a medieval period piece and it's just the least uh self-aware piece of propaganda ever made because it's like evil dictator is starving the good people of North Korea, so they gotta like overthrow him, you know, for freedom. And it's like, Kim Jong Il, do you have any level of self awareness? And well, then you, capitalism you, destroys them in the end because their greedy monster wants money. Well, it, it wants to eat, keep eating the metal, but that's what it needs to survive. It's its anti capitalism message is incredibly, incredibly sort of thin and well disguised. I, I was really hope, you know, hoping for something like modern day and this evil monster is mutated by the evils of capitalism and so attacks North Korea and North Korea saves the world from it or something. Well, I, Alex, which Korea was Yan and Gray from? Was that from North or South Korea when we South. watched Yan and Gray Monster from the Deep, which, by the way, had nothing to do with coming from the deep. He was from space, but whatever. <laughs> no, he wasn't even from space. He was just from like a hole he was in just, the ground. He was just from yeah, they just don't. They go to space in that movie for no reason. Oh yeah, they go no, there right. and then they come back. But see, that one actually went to a weird. Okay, it's unrealistic in every way. But when they kill the monster, it poops itself. And I'm going, that's that's the wrong place to add realism, man. <laughs> oh yeah, it it starts crapping blood in the river as it dies. Yeah, and you actually feel bad for it, because all Jan and Grey wanted to do was leave, and the damn military wouldn't let it. It was only destroying buildings, because they kept shooting at it. Not what I was expecting. I I must see this film. You can watch our live riff of it on Live Nude Geeks at geekjuicemedia.com. Plug, plug. <laughs> it's a public domain movie. Yeah, so it's a public domain, too. To come across. But do you sometimes look for some of the movies that you do because of what they are? Like that one about the weird lesbian kung fu assassins that castrate dudes that just in a weird way and i totally mean the compliment seems totally up like that movie was made for you to review that's a complete brain fart which movie is that you're talking about i don't remember what the title was it was that's it was the one with like the, those lesbian assassins they would trap guys in the basement and cut their balls oh, off and oh naked killer naked killer that's it yeah well, that one, um, I came across that one when I was like 16. It was when I was in college and sort of, you know, over in Northern Ireland, that was sort of a, a, at the time that was just coming out on, you know, after having been banned or something or never been released. So it was like, it was infamous in my sort of age group. So I, I picked up a copy of it and then I suddenly remembered, you know, years and years later that, hey, this movie exists. That would make a good episode. I got the same thing with uh, Shogun Assassin. I am. Um, I saw it when I was younger. I realized it. I remembered it. It it existed, and then about you know a mo- two months later, I got an episode finished for it. Is this- so, so in a way, you do seek them out, or or at least you you go by your memory of maybe controversial. I mean, do you ever come across one where you just go, "I really want to do this," but it's either so mainstream, or other another critic has already done it, or just it doesn't fit your style. There's been a couple of films that I, I see. There's a couple of films that are very mainstream that I'm considering doing because I want to do like a, a set of reviews, which are like movies that everyone else loves and I hate. 
that would be movies like, uh, for instance, The Land Before Time or Batman Begins or The Matrix, just to annoy people. But apart from that, generally it's whether it feels right, whether I remember it or whether I come across a trailer for it or even a poster, I'm like, oh man, I gotta check that out. If it feels right, I'll add it to the list. Sometimes based only on clips or a trailer, and usually that ends up really badly for me because it usually ends up terrible and I really should watch a film before deciding to review it, but I'm, I'm, I've never learned my lesson about this. Well, one that I keep kind of hoping that you're going to do, because I think you could make it funnier than, than a lot of people would. I mean, it's not really a film that's up Brad's alley, otherwise I think he could do it justice as well, would be the 1980 Flash Gordon. I absolutely love that film. And that is so weird. It's got the weird sexual subtext and the little midgets and all the obviously gay set decorator colors and everything. I think someone like you would have fun with, with the 1980 Flash Gordon. Oh, I would. I would probably be able to do a multi-part on that. I think, though, if I can find someone who is who'd be good to cross over on that one. I, I, I'm not too sure who I would cross over with it, but I think it should probably be a crossover with someone. You asked earlier about whether, you know, someone else has done a review, would that stop me? And it only ever stops me if it's someone whose videos I watch, you know, on a regular basis. Like, I, I had uh, Maces and Monsters on my list to review until Spinny reviewed it. You know, if Brad reviews something that I want to review, I'll usually, you know, not review it. Do you ever uh, get mad at like that? Like, all of a sudden you'll see something you wanted on Brad's show and you go, BASTARD! No, and. Not at all, because I have about 80 movies to review, so it, it means that I don't have to review it. Like, several movies other people have done and crossovered with me uh, have been movies on my review list. Like, they were all like, do you have any suggestions to review? And I give them a list of all the movies I've got to review, and they choose one. Like, um, that happened with Joshua the Anarchist in uh, and the movie Virus from the 90s. It was on my list. He wanted a review. He got he got to choose one of my movies. The, the Jamie Lee Curtis one? Yeah. Ugh, that movie's terrible. <laughs> I, I read the comic because it's based on a comic long before, and I'm like, yeah, th this is an interesting comic. Make, make an interesting movie. Trailer looks interesting. And then I went, what the hell is this? First of all, half the trailer's not in the movie, so that tells you major production problems right there. But it doesn't resemble the comic at all. Hell, The Mask with Jim Carrey was a more accurate adaptation of a Dark Horse comic. And that was not even close. I I've read the the comic of, of Virus. I read it after doing the review. And the main uh, issue with it, I can see, is that you'd probably get about 35, 40 minutes out of the comic. It's yeah. like, rather than change everything, they should have uh, ex just expanded upon it. Or just made it part of an anthology film. Sometimes a film does not need to be feature length. Look at something like Imposter, the one with Vincent D'Onofrio and Gary Sinise. Mm -hmm. That film is boring as hell, but it was made as a 40-minute segment of an anthology film that never came out, and then they saw it and went, this is strong enough to have its own movie. We'll give you an extra like five million bucks, make it feature length, and the movie turns out terrible. There are some films that don't need to be feature length. They work fine as shorts. You just reminded me of uh, this movie. It's just come out in Region 1, uh, Manborg. The, uh, the original, I saw the original version of this last trauma dance, you know, last May, and it was about 60 minutes long. But right after that, they signed a deal with uh, Raven Scanner releasing, and uh, the deal said that they had to release the movie as 70 minutes long. So 
this is all according to the commentary. They took the end credits and they made them, they tripled them and they made them three times slower. And they added all these dramatic headshots for all the characters and actors in order to get an extra four minutes. And then they had like six minutes there to full, fill. And then they added all the extra deleted scenes and everything. And they still had about five minutes there to fill and they had no idea what to do. So what they did was they filmed a fake trailer for a movie that doesn't exist called Biocop, which is the cross between Robocop and the Incredible Melting Man. <laughs> and and so they put this at the end of the movie, and apparently it costs more than the main feature. I need to see that trailer now. I need to see this movie. But it reminds me of something like, like what Alex does. He is forced to sit through with the antisocials all these horrible direct-to-videos. Alex, you want to talk about padding? Look at an Easter Bunny puppy with all oh, the eggs. Movie. Explain it's, to the audience about Easter Bunny Puppy. It's this real cheap, just talking dog kids movie. The dog doesn't talk, though. It actually starts with the it's dog. Telepathy. Yeah, the dog's like, you can hear my thoughts because you're now telepathic for the next 90 minutes, but it only applies to me, the dog. And most of that movie is people painting Easter eggs or nice. people searching for Easter eggs. There's a lot of padding. Even your daughter was like, enough with the eggs. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Sting Moment of Truth, where which I reviewed with uh, Spoonie, and it was it was a bunch of terrible bits of drama and flashbacks and random interviews and stock footage mixed in with mini music videos, and th- and then it, what is it about some forms of terrible drama movies which have just mini music videos just to, to remind you that you're in California? When I was um I was up in Quebec over the weekend and I ended up watching uh the minis with my wife and it's imagine this. You get a team of dwarves want to be professional basketball players, and it, they team up with Dennis Rodman. That actually sounds pretty cool. That sounds like it would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's 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 certainly a it's it's a movie I want obscure Slupa to watch. Well, and you have some where, and and you know it's most likely that they ha- they got the vi- music videos first and then just wrote a screenplay around it. Have you ever seen Incident at Channel Q? Uh no. It, it's a shot on video about, you know, came out in like 84 or something, and it's full of about 10 minutes or 10 full music videos from like Motley Crue, The Scorpions, Iron Maiden, stuff like that. It's about a TV station that is like MTV, and they're showing all these decadent music videos, and the community starts to rebel against them, and it's sort of like all the interstitials are shock jocks, and every now and then it's built into the story now we're going to show you Motley Crue's a looks that look that looks that kill, and they show the entire music video. So half of the movie is padding, but <laughs> it still works too. Does that make any sense? I want to see that. I can send you a copy of it because due to music rights, they're never that's never going to get a legit DVD release to relicense all the music videos. Never going to happen. Uh, when I was looking for the poster for. Uh, the British turkey shoot release they have in the in the Im- Google image search they have a poster for a movie called Blood Diner. I want yes, to I, I've, I've seen that. I've got that on DVD. That's a good wanna... movie. You can actually get that uh, while you're over here. Go go to Walmart. That's actually a, a budget title over here. It's on one of those four movies for ten dollar DVDs at Walmart. And that's its only official DVD release. Yeah. So while you're here in America, troll a Walmart and see if you can find Blood Diner. It's like I said, you can get it for $10 plus three other movies. It's a fun movie. Well, we usually end up at a Walmart at some point. I will definitely mm-hmm. check it out. You know what? I'd, I'd love to just know what, what you, as a ferner and all, think about the, the whole Walmartian culture. 
Um, I think that being able to get a lot of strikingly interesting, uh, though mostly not very good things at such low prices is quite useful as a foreigner. But, I mean, the people that go there, they are called Wall Martians for a reason. If you want a real experience, Diamanda, go to Walmart at 3 in the morning. It's like your own personal freak show. Well, yeah, I've never gone there at 3 o'clock in the morning, but... I, I, all the times I've gone there, and I've been there, like in Maryland and you know Pennsylvania and stuff, I've I haven't noticed anything particularly weird. But then again, I tend to go during the day because I, I can't drive, and uh, so my wife is usually she's driving us, and she keeps more social hours than I do. Let me put it this way, Diamanda: you could go to Walmart at three in the morning in full Diamanda Hagen costume, full makeup and all, and I don't think someone would even bat an eye at you. That reminds me, next weekend at this uh, the Trumapalooza in Baltimore, I'm supposed to be spending most of the weekend in the makeup to uh, to do to do some filming. I've got to I've got to try and get a bit with Lloyd Kaufman to apologize for killing him in my show. Lloyd will actually do it too. Lloyd's Lloyd's really cool, actually. Yeah, I met him at Trauma Dance last year. Lovely, lovely guy. I just never got to film the bit. LC from. Uh, from Cine Radio, the, the stream, he uh, he recorded just some footage of him, like, you know, just giving me a shout-out, and it was constructed in such a way, and Lloyd kept f***ing up the lines in such a way that I wrote it into the script, that he was he was bothering me, and I and he kept getting my line wrong, so I killed him. That was my, my way of celebrating my first trauma movie I reviewed. Well, and he he's in House of Forbidden Secrets that our boss, Todd Sheets, just finished. He's, he's in that, and he gets killed in that, too. But, I, so, we're running out of time. Alex needs to assert himself more. Jowski, where can people find you? People can find me being assertive at geekjuicemedia.com. Where can people find Diamanda Hagen? At uh, diamandahagen.wordpress.com or at thekeoutoftheglasses.com or at projectmillionentertainment.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. A lot of .coms tonight. And geekjuicemedia.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Good night, guys.
thy neighbor as thyself. Is everybody ready for wrestling?